we're going to look at something that James addresses. It's a divide that exists, and it's existed throughout history. One of the biggest divides that there is. It has probably single-handedly caused some of the worst wars, relational conflicts, and, and turmoil throughout human history. It existed then, and it exists now. It's existed through civilization after civilization, regardless of economic system. It is the divide between the rich and the poor, the, those who have and those who do not have, those who employ and those who are employed, those with money, those without, those who are hired, and those who do the hiring. It is something that um, is, is always existed. There's this divide. And James says, I want to address it in a very unique way, in a very startling way. Now, before we get to the passage we're going to look at this morning, I want to touch on some of the things that we've looked at throughout this letter. So remember, James is writing this letter to followers of Jesus Christ. And, and he's addressed a lot of different things. We're now into chapter 5, but the previous chapters, he's addressed something over and over again, and he's touched on it as a thread that leads up to what he's about to talk to, and it's about our possessions, it's about favoritism, it's about the, the, the divide between the rich and the poor. So I just want to read a few of these references from earlier in the book of James. The first one is this, believers in humble circumstances, those who are poor in the world's eyes ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild, fla uh, wild flower. The next uh, one, James chapter 2. If you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you should not treat some people better than others, yet you mistreat the poor. And then into chapter 3. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. When you are focused in on possessions and wanting to use it for your own selfishness. And then in James chapter 4. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So over and over and over again. There's plenty of other references we could have looked at. James is driving home this point. That you have rich and poor, you have your material possessions, you have your earthly wealth, and how you handle it matters. And now, as he knows he's getting towards the end of this letter that he's writing, he starts, chapter 5 is the last chapter, he didn't say this is chapter 5, but he's writing and he knows he's about to wrap some things up. And so now it's like a sledgehammer, and this is what he says. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. How do you like that opening line? <laughs> your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes and your gold and silver are corroded. Look at that. Weep, wail, rotted, corroded, destroyed. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look. The wages you fail to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have con uh, condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. When you read those six verses, you may say, that is some heavy stuff. And you're right, it is. It is meant to be. James is addressing those who have made wealth, possessions, 
material things, worldly wealth, the center of their lives. He's addressing those who are, um, who are hiring people and not paying them a fair wage. He's addressing those who have used economic systems to exploit others in order to make more money for themselves. He's addressing those who would take advantage, who would, uh, who would uh, make people work in, in horrible uh, conditions, child labor, all those type things, who would withhold pay. And he says, you're murdering them. Literally and figuratively, you are stealing their life. Some people would die in employ because of the horrible working conditions, and other people, their lives would just be wasted away in this never-ending manual labor, and they can never find joy in life. He is hitting these people hard. And I know exactly what some of you are thinking because it's what I think when I read these verses. Thank God he's not talking to me. I mean, I've never treated anyone like that. I would never treat anyone like that. And I would guarantee, I would, I would almost stake my life on the fact that if I asked anyone here, looked you eyeball to eyeball, would you, have you, are you the type of person who would treat someone else like that? Not one of us would say, yes, that's me. These words resound in my heart. No, we say, that's not me. That's not me. I don't, I don't have that kind of resources. I don't have that type of influence. I don't have employees. And if I had money like that, if I had employees, if I had those resources, I would use it for good, not to hurt people. I would help, not harm. That's what we would all say. And so we read these verses and we say, not about me. But the reality is, whether you employ people or not, whether you think you're rich or not, James is talking to all of us because beneath the reality of the people he's addressing, he introduces two amazing principles that apply to our possessions here on earth that all of us have a responsibility for. So the first one is this, worldly wealth will have no value in eternity, but how you use worldly wealth will impact eternity. All you have to do is read Jesus' parables if you don't believe me. Go back. I'm not going to get into them. But go back in the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read some of his parables. They almost all center on how did you handle the things that you were given here on earth? How did you handle them? How did you steward them? What did you do with them? See, we have stuff. We all have stuff. Some have a lot of stuff. Some have a little stuff. But no one here in this room doesn't have stuff because nobody here is naked. So... Everybody has something. Everybody has something. You can use your stuff for yourself. Buy a nicer house. Buy more stuff. Uh, go on great experiences. Uh, you can use your stuff for your family and your friends. You can buy front row tickets and have these amazing experiences. You can have a great house. You can do all those things. But none of that will go with you into heaven. None of those things investment portfolios, none of that you're taking with you to heaven. Or you can leverage what's been trusted to you in this time, in this season, in this life to advance God's kingdom, to help people, to, to advance the vision and mission of the church, to, to reach the least and the lost and the hurting and those who are confused and those who need help. You can do one or the other. How you use your material possessions will have an impact on eternity. So if you're smart, listen, if you have stuff, some of, some of you here, God has trusted you with a lot of stuff. Some of you, God has trusted with little. But what, whatever you do with your stuff, 
if you're wise. A wise person says, I will see God as my provider. My stuff is not mine. God has given it to me. I have a responsibility to manage it, to steward it, to, to take responsibility of it and use it not just for my own self-aggrandizement. God gives us things. He wants us to enjoy life. Don't get me wrong. God's not up in heaven going, don't have fun. Stop smiling. No, God, God wants you to have fun. God gives us things for our enjoyment, but not just for our enjoyment. You'll see yourself as a steward and say, God, how do I use this stuff to leverage it for your kingdom, for your good, for, for the good of others, for your glory, to help, to make a difference, because I'm not taking any of this with me. If you're not wise, you'll have all your stuff, all your possessions, all your worldly wealth, and you'll say, the more I have, the more for me. I'm going to buy a second home. I'm going to go on nicer vacations. I'm going to spend almost everything exclusively on me and my family. I'm going to go on great experiences. I'm going to uh, you know, increase my investment portfolio. I'm going to have more and more and more. Newer cars, nicer cars, bigger, uh, more elaborate furnishings. If you're unwise, you do that. And you don't get more and then take that more and give more to God. You get more and you give more to yourself. It is, it is a, a tendency that all of us wrestle with. The idea that as our standard of living increases, as our finances increase, as our earnings increase, so does what we spend on ourselves. It's something we all wrestle with. Think, think in your own life. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when you first got married, your first job, how much were you making? Your very first job. Think about that. Think about your current job or the, the last job. Maybe you retired the last job you had. And think about how much you were earning. Now go back to that very first job. If then, if someone said then, you're going to make this much, you'd say, oh, I'm rich. I won't ever have a care in the world. But eventually you made that much. And what did you do? Oh, I just need another pay raise. I just need one more bonus. Because when our income increases, we increase our standard of living. What we don't tend to do is increase our standard of giving. As a matter of fact, most of us are giving either stays flat or goes down. It's why the wealthiest people tend to be, give the least amount proportional to their income. And the, and, and the poor people tend to be those who give most extravagantly and generously. And... and James is saying, listen, you're not taking any of this with you, so be generous. Let me give you an example of this. There was a man uh, in 1902. His name was James Penny. And in 1902, he started a department store. And he was a Christian. He loved the Lord. And he knew and believed that the Bible taught that he was to tithe off of his income. So he began to tithe 10% of his earnings back to his local church. That's what he knew God wanted him to do. So he was earning at the time he started this department store and he was earning $10 a week. So he gave $1 a week to his church. But James Penny was a good businessman and he parlayed his one department store into a chain of department stores that eventually became known as the J.C. Penny chain of department stores. At one point, his earnings meant that he had to tie thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a week. He writes that one day he was getting ready to give his tithe and he was looking how much it was and he got a little frustrated. 
So he had a conversation with God. And he said, Lord, I've been faithfully giving all these years. But the amount I'm giving seems out of whack. I mean, this is a lot. Why do I have to give this much? It doesn't seem right. He kind of just let that statement. It wasn't really much a question. It was more like, I want to justify. I want to give less. The Lord responded in a very brief, succinct way, but very profound. He said, JC, that's fine. I can take care of that. I'll make sure you go back to earning $10 a week. (laughs) Then your tithe won't be as much. He never complained about giving again. But but that's how so many of us are. We have these possessions and and we, we don't view it as this all belongs to God and how can I use it to advance his kingdom, his church, his vision, his mission for this world. It's I want to hold on to a little bit more for myself. But the reality is, all of us, how we handle our possessions, in part, some of us don't like this, but in part, when, when we stand before the Lord one day, we will be judged by how we handle our material possessions. Again, go back and read Jesus' parables. Go, go back and read his interactions with people. Lazarus, come down. I'm going to your house today. If I've defrauded anyone, Lazarus said. He was a tax gatherer. He defrauded everyone. He said, if I've defrauded anyone, if I've taken advantage of them, if I've, been, I've wronged them, stolen from them in any way, I will repay them. Tenfold, I'll give them more. And Jesus said, salvation, come to your house today. He didn't buy salvation. But Jesus said, how you handle your possessions on earth, how you use them in your relationship to other people is a reflection of your heart and your love towards me. So, the first principle, earthly, worldly possessions, You're not taking any of it with you to heaven, but you can leverage it to impact eternity now. To reach people, to help them see God's goodness, love, grace, mercy, generosity. To help fund different things so that people can hear the message of hope and have their eternity changed. The second principle is this. Be just in your financial dealings, as I mentioned, because you will be judged by it. You'll be judged by it. Remember we read... Your your wealth is all corrupt and it's eating away your flesh like fire. What does that mean? It means that if you owe somebody money, pay them what you owe. Pay them what you owe. If you've agreed to do a job for someone, do the job that you agreed to even if it costs you. It means that if you hire someone, pay them not just a fair wage, pay them a generous wage. If you're in a position of influence, If you you, uh, have some type of sway or or leadership in an organization, don't just say, how do we increase the bottom line? But how do we help the lives of those that are in our employee? Don't just say, how do I increase my profit margin? How do I make someone else's life better? Because how you handle your financial dealings here on earth, you're going to be judged by some of those things. Now, what does that mean? Again, some of you are saying, slide, slid off that one. I pay everything I owe. I don't ever do a job that I don't agree to, and I don't have an employee in my sphere of influence. Off the hook. Well, let's think about this for a moment. I know some of you all. Some of you have said to me, do you know anyone that does babysitting? Yeah, I do. How much do they ask? $10 an hour. Oh my gosh, $10 an hour. 
First of all, let's think now. This is your child. You want the cheapest person you could find to watch the most precious person in your life. I just want the guy who's going to do it for a nickel. $10 per kid? Oh my gosh. Listen, you have an opportunity for some teenage girl or, or young man who's trustworthy and say, hey, you know, thank you. You're doing a great thing. I, I want to be generous to you. You go to a restaurant. You know who's kind of not really your employee, but kind of because they depend on what you're going to leave at the end of your meal? The waiter or waitress, the wait staff. So they're there helping you, filling your drinks, doing whatever you need for an hour, two hours. And afterward, if you're like me, you're going, yeah, eight, 8% maybe. You didn't, do, you didn't do a 15% job. Now be generous. I, I wish I was better at this. I have to work hard. But I remember right before everything shut down at COVID, went out to eat, and you kind of saw the writing on the wall, like, oh, everything's about to shut down. So I'm like, I'm going out. This is the last supper. Um, went out, had a nice meal with a friend, and, uh, and, and the person said, I, I, I'm paying. It's on me. I said, are you sure? Yep, it's on me. And so I reached into my pocket, and I pulled out. Uh, it, it was intentional because I knew I wanted to do this. I pulled out a $100 bill, and I left it there. for Because the, I'm thinking, this, this person who just waited on her table is probably not going to have a job for the next two or three months or whatever. You know, I think it was, what, flatten the curve for two weeks or something. Uh, so be generous. That person is dependent on you. Ah, oh, you know, they didn't fill my drink fast enough. I'm not going to give them anything. And listen, don't make this a philosophical thing. They're, the restaurant owner should pay them more. Yes, he should, but he's not. And your, your little, you know, uh, revolt there at the table isn't going to make that restaurant owner change anything. So, so be generous. The person who delivers your pizza... Anyone who has a lawn service, you know, leave them something. Give them a, a tip, a bonus at the end of the year. Hey, thank you so much. Gas prices go up, and you say, "Well, you agreed to it, sucker." Uh, you know. So be generous. That, that's that's the things that that uh, that James is getting at. That somehow or other, we have a responsibility, and how we deal with our finances here on earth, in part, will be judged by that when we stand before the Lord. So be generous. Help people. So, so James starts, and this whole section, it seems like his entire focus is on those who are rich, those who have the employers, those who are in positions of influence. And, and it's true. That's, that's the main uh, focus. But he also says something to those who don't have, the poor. And most of us tend to identify with the poor more than the rich. We can all think and sometimes live in this idea that I don't have. Maybe you're in a I don't have season right now. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough connections. I don't have enough save for retirement. I don't have a good enough paying job. And so you're in this I don't have season. But most of us feel like we've been there. And so what does James have to say to people like that? Let's go back and read. He says, the cries of the harvesters, those who do not have, have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. What he's saying is, there are times when you're not going to have. There are seasons when it's not going to be enough. You can complain to the world around you. You can complain to your spouse, to your kids. You can grumble. You can murmur. You could say how unfair your employee is or your employer is. You could say how unfair the economic system is. Or you can pour your complaints out to the Lord. 
And so that's what James is saying. Bring your complaints to the Lord. Bring your complaints to the Lord. Bring your complaints to the Lord because he hears, he knows, and he'll move. He'll avenge when there's injustice. He will make things right. Some of it we're not going to see here on earth. Please hear me. Some of it won't be made right until we step from this earth and step into the eternal. There's a way in which some of these things, some of these unjust injustices won't be fixed in our lifetime. But that's not the point. The point is God knows, God sees, God will respond. God is my provider. God is my source. God is my sanctuary. God's that safe place I can go to. God's that refuge for me. God is that stronghold that I could run to. If you think we just change economic systems and everything will be better, again, I have news for you. There's been no economic system in human history that has uh, leveled the playing field. There's always the haves and the do-not-haves. So bring your complaints to the Lord. And if you don't see it in this world, there'll come a time, there'll come a moment when all of it will be made right in the life to come. So in the book of Revelation, when it talks about uh, Jesus returning, God uh, establishing his everlasting kingdom here on earth, this is what it says. He, God, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more suffering or crying or pain or injustice or unfair treatment. There'll be no more exploitation. There'll be none of that. These things will be gone forever. God says, I am making everything new. Oh, what a day, what a day, what a day. But that means we have to stop and think. That is a marvelous reality. But that's not going to happen here on earth. We're going to have to sometimes endure some things, walk through some things, experience some things. I think about um, the, the, the uh, songs that we call the great African-American spirituals. If, you, if you've ever heard them, songs like Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen, Wade in the Water, Steal Away, uh, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Great African-American spirituals that were written and sung in the oppression of slavery. And what do they declare? A trust in God's justice. A, a belief for freedom and liberation. A belief that many of them would never experience in their lifetime. But they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, if I don't see it here on earth, I will see it in the world to come. In other words, what happens here on earth is not the final word. What happens in this life is not the end. God will make everything right, everything new. And in those African-American spirituals, what does it say? It says things like, I'm looking, I'm looking for that moment when God comes back, when Jesus shows up. And if I get there before you, I'll reach down and pull you up. There, there is a sense in which it filled them with a trust and a reliance in God that gave them an ability to live with a dignity that was not of this world. And that's what God wants. See, some of us are going to walk through some things. Some of us are going to have to face injustice. Some of us are going to have to endure some things. And we're going to cry out and bring our complaints to God. And we're not going to see it here on earth. But if you'll say, my focus isn't on now. My focus is on the life to come, the world to come, the eternal then if I have to go through some things, I can learn to patiently endure. That's what we're going to talk about all next week. Is that is James' uh, challenge to us to, to patiently persevere. 
in the midst of whatever we're going through. But I'm telling you, when it comes to those that do not have, you may get an unfair pay. You may not get enough vacation time. You may not get uh, all the benefits that you deserve. Someone uh, may have hired you to do a job and they stiff you on the job. There, there are times when someone um, uh, just takes advantage of you in some way and you can't fix it. But I'm telling you, if you'll remember this truth, it will help you. Injustice now will be met with unending justice to come. Any injustice that you have to face now, as we read somewhere else in the Bible, is a momentary and light affliction. How can we say that? Only in the view of eternity. Only in the view of eternity. You say that eventually justice will flow and it will never end. So here's the thing. This letter, here's something amazing that sometimes we miss. This letter that James writes, he's writing this to a group of people. Some of the people who hear it are thrilled. Because some of the people hearing it are poor people. Some of the people hearing it are employees. Some of the people hearing it have been exploited by their employers. And they are thrilled not because just of what James wrote. They're thrilled because standing right next to them, standing a few uh, steps behind them is their employer. Some of them are slaves, and standing right behind them is their master. Some of them are servants, and standing right behind them is the person that they serve. And they're going, wow, this is going to radically change my life. Other ones heard these words and said, my boss, my employer, my master isn't a follower. If they become a follower, the first thing I'm going to do is say, James wrote a letter to you. But if they don't, even when I have to go back to work this afternoon or the next day and continue to face this injustice, I know that I know that I know that one day justice will flow. That is what made the entire Christian community so unique. See, this, a letter like this would be written, and it would be read. And in that group, you had a mixture of people, rich poor, male, female, Jew, Gentile, Roman soldiers, Roman centurions, Roman leaders, and Jewish and Gentile that were in subjection to the Romans. You had them all there because they had all come to a point of saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so as this letter would be read, it showed them how do we live in relationship to each other. Everything that James writes is saying, listen, Jesus has come, and he wants to create a new community. And I want you to know how to live in this community, how to relate to one another, rich to poor, male to female, uh, Jew to Gentile. How do you do this thing? How do you walk this out? Because what he wanted them to know and he wants us to know is this, that we are one with Christ through salvation, and we are one with each other in Christ. That's what he's getting at. And when they heard these words... It rocked them. They reflected on it. And it changed everything. Why? Because they actually took the words seriously. They put, took these things, what was written to them, and they put it into practice. It wasn't uncommon in that day and age that you walk into a church and here's a slave standing as the teacher. And they're listening. Is a rich businessman. It wasn't uncommon that some blue-collar Jew would stand up 
as the pastor of a church, and there seated is a Roman official who oversees an entire region. Because they said, we want to live in the context of a radical community that isn't about who's in power. I'm over you, you're beneath me. It's about being subjected to the one who's over everything. And so we have to learn from this that God wants the same thing for us. To hear these words and say, I want to put them into practice because that kind of community is what changed the world. The world had never seen a community like that. That they said, we relate to one another out of love. It's marked by sacrifice. It's marked by uh, mutual admiration. Nobody walked in and said, I'm better than you. That's what James addressed earlier when he talked about favoritism. Pastor Andy talked about it. He said, we're not going to have that. It's not what this community is meant to be. This is meant to be a radical community. And to live in that type of community means that we all bow our knee to the one that we call Lord. And whoever God appoints, whoever God anoints, whoever God establishes, then we show that person honor and respect. But we don't lord it over them. We don't say, I'm better than you. And if you employ someone, treat them with dignity and respect. And if someone's mistreating you, endure, 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 patiently endure. That kind of community is what turned the world upside down then. It took a few hundred people and turned it into millions. And now, 2,000 years later, billions of people who call themselves Christian. And God wants that same type of community here now, today. He didn't just want it then. He wants it for us. So what we have to do is say, God, how do I view my stuff? Am I leveraging it for eternity because I'm not taking any of it with me? And am I being just and fair with my finances? Because if I'm not, one day I'm going to give an account. God, I want to I wanna be faithful to those things. And it also means you may have to endure some injustice. You may have to endure that ex who doesn't do the things that ex-partner you dissolved a business and they were supposed to do some things and they never did those financial things you have to endure that injustice you have to you have to just walk through it you can pursue legal things if that can work but most of the time you just got to face it okay i'll get through and know that at some point someday now or in the world to come justice so here's what I'm going to ask. If you just close your eyes, I want to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I come to you, and God, I'm asking that these words, these are hard words, and it's easy to dismiss them, to shrug it off, to say it doesn't apply to me, but God, in the context of community, in the context of the community here, in the context of our relationships at home, with our neighbors and our friends, God, all those things matter. Are we being generous? Are we leveraging what you've entrusted to us for your kingdom? Or are we just spending it on ourselves? Are we being fair and just and generous, forthright with our finances? Or God, is it all about how do we just get a little bit more out of the deal and withhold just a little bit from someone else? Oh God, God, help me. Help me to Continue to be changed and transformed by your Holy Spirit. For those of us who right now are in a do not have season, 
We don't have the job we want, the pay we want, the resources we want. We don't have the connections we want. We don't have the finances that we want. God, help us to pour our hearts, our complaints out to you. God who knows. A God who hears. A God who responds. And a God who will avenge. Justice, justice, justice will flow. Right where you are as we pray, you might say, uh, there's some things that really spoke to me. And I realize I, I'm, not, I'm not handling my finances quite the way God would want me to. I'm making it more about me than anyone else. I'm trying to build up a great treasure here on earth, and I don't think so much about my treasure in heaven. If that's you, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Right where you are, just stand at your feet. Just, just have the boldness to say, God, I want to change. I want to change. I want to be different. Maybe there's some of you who are saying, I'm going through some hard things right now. I'm going through some, I don't have moments and seasons in my life. And God, I, I want to learn to complain in the right way to you, to bring my hurt, my desire, my complaint, my, my injustice to you, the God who will respond. If that's you, right where you are, just stand to your feet. Here's what I'm going to ask. Those of you who have stood to your feet, right now, just make your way forward. We're going to have prayer teams here. I don't, I'm not forcing you to do anything, but I'm telling you, I believe God wants to move, and sometimes he moves when we just Walk in obedience. So we're going to have prayer teams up here. Just make your way forward. Let these people pray with you, pray for you. If you're joining us online and you would say one of those two are me, I, I'm a do not have person. I'm in a do not have season and I need prayer. Just click on the prayer button. Someone will pray with you. Someone will pray for you. If you're joining us online and you're one of those people who say, I haven't, I haven't handled my finances right. I haven't done the things that I'm supposed to do. I've not been just with my financial dealings. Again, click the button. Let someone pray with you. Let someone pray for you. Now, if everyone would stand to your feet, if you'd like prayer now for this or anything else we've talked about, as we worship the Lord here, we're going to continue to worship him through some songs. If you'd like prayer, please come forward. Let God minister to you. People have been waiting. They've been preparing all week long for this moment to meet you in prayer. If you're carrying a burden, don't walk out feeling you have to carry it alone. Let God move in your heart and in your life here this morning.